0: So there's been a lot of nice weather out there lately, and I've seen, I've seen a lot of people out running, have we not? Now let me just clarify with that, now when I say I've seen people out running, I want to make sure you know that I have not been running, I sit inside and I see them. Or maybe I'm driving and I see them, but not for too long. And so, for me, running's just never been something that I've been able able to get into. It's it's something I've done before. I've done physical activity, I've played football, I ran track, but running is the death of me. All right, and so, I I know some people, some of you, probably claim to love it, but a part of me thinks you're lying. It can't be true, it can't be true. And I know it's an easy and efficient way to stay in shape. But I've made peace with the idea that it simply isn't for me. And so I think I've seen a lot of people have the same idea about prayer as I do about running. One theologian once put it that prayer is the chief exercise of the Christian religion. But for how many of us in here do we look at prayer the same way I look at running? We've probably done it before. We've probably tried it out. We've probably read a book about it, maybe. But it's just never been something you've been able to get into. It's never been your default course of action. You've seen other people, and you know other people who love it and think it's great, but part of you thinks they're crazy, or they're lame. And you probably know it's an easy and quick way to grow and deepen in your faith. But you've also made peace with the idea that it simply isn't for you. But see, here's the catch. With running, there are many other, and some would say better ways, for me to stay in shape. But with prayer, there is no substitute. Prayer is vital, it's necessary, it's essential for the Christian faith. But yet, we just, as the people of God, haven't, I don't time for it. We haven't figured it out. Uh, sometimes we don't pray because we think God is too distant. We think he's not personal, he's not there. Sometimes yeah. we think he's really scary, that he's kind of like the boogeyman. Or sometimes we think he's just like Santa Claus. Well today we're going to talk about this. What what does a good prayer life look like? What does Jesus have to say about prayer? So if you would with me, we're going to be in Luke chapter eleven, verses one through four. And I ask you to open your Bibles and keep it open while we read through the scriptures today so that you can see that as I get to preach, you see that the wisdom that I'm preaching is not from me, but it's from the Word of God. So we will be in Luke chapter eleven. Verses 1 through 4. Let us now open our Bibles and as we do, let us prepare our hearts and minds for the reading of God's Word. Let's pray. Father God, God, you are holy, you are renowned, and you are to be looked upon with awe. Lord God, we come before your word today, and we are we, we rely on you to reveal what you have to tell us. God. Open our minds, open our eyes, open our ears to what you have in store for us today. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. In your name, amen. Luke 11, 1 through 4. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. The word of the Lord. So the disciples are here asking Jesus, How do you pray? They go up to Jesus and say, How do you pray? Probably a question we've asked multiple times as well. How do you pray? You fold your hands? Does it have to be like a, one of these folds or these folds? Do you have to look down. Does it have to speak? Do you have to talk formally? Do you have to talk in old English with the thighs and the fathers and the f's at the end of each word? Isn't prayer just like talking to Santa Claus? Well, so we have all these questions, and so did the disciples. So did Jesus' entourage, his fam, those closest to him. They were asking him these same exact questions. And so we're going to look at how he responded to them. So, at this time in culture, a rabbi, their teachers at this time, they would have disciples, and the rabbi would teach his disciples how to pray. We see the um, rabbi John the Baptist that we're probably familiar with. He told his disciples a prayer as well. And so, this was sort of a rite of passage and oath. Some of the time, they needed to recite this prayer word for word, sometimes, it was more of a structure. And so, in the prayer that we read today, many of you might have the Lord's Prayer memorized. And when we read today, you might have felt that this version was a little short. It didn't have the whole version encapsulated in it. Well, that's because the version you have memorized, first off, it's probably King James. You probably say, Thy Father. But anyway, but it's, you probably have the Matthew version memorized. And it's a bit longer, and that's because it was written to a different audience. In Matthew, Jesus says, Pray like this. And in Luke, it's different. So we can get this idea that, okay, it's more of a structure maybe. It's not necessarily a word for word because they didn't do it word for word. And so what we see here is that the Lord's Prayer, although beautiful to recite word for word, to have memorized word for word, will be great for your spiritual walk to have memorized. It doesn't need to be. Jesus would rather have us see the outline, the structure of the prayer, and base our prayer life off of that. And so that's what we're going to do today. My first point, my first application today is that we are to have intimacy with the Father. Jesus opens in verse 2, if you look at that, he says, Father. Now, at this time, the Jews weren't unaccustomed to knowing God to be fatherly. They knew him to be like a father. It would be like if I talked to Don Wallace and said, Don, you're like a father to me. No one in here would get confused with the idea that Don was my dad, no one would think that. But see, that's not what Jesus was doing here. Jesus was saying that God, the God of the universe, was actually his father. And so the word Jesus uses here is pate here, and we don't. And so when Jesus actually spoke, it was in Aramaic, and this book was, was written in Greek. And so if we figure out the other times that we know that Jesus, what Jesus said in Aramaic, we can kind of understand what he probably said here. And he probably said the word Adam ab- which, if we translate back to English, it, it comes to a very intimate form of the word father. More like daddy. Where little kids call their daddy, daddy. And so look back at verse 2. And look, back, look at it and it says father. It says Abba. It says daddy. Or it says Papa. Whatever your frame of reference is. And Jesus, he looks up to the king of the universe, the creator of all things. He says Papa. I think that's just incredible. And it's incredible because we should have the same relationship with God. If you remember, back when you were a youngster, um, and there was a thunderstorm where you had a a nightmare, and you rolled out of bed and you ran over to your daddy. Uh, It was probably a long time for some of us, probably just a few years ago for a few of us. Um, But we we all remember those times. And so if you look at this picture here, um, I don't know if you can see it, but you have JFK, doing presidential things at the desk. Then you have little Junior underneath the desk, JFK Junior. I'm not really a history buff, so I had to research this a little bit, but as many of you know, he was, JFK Junior was pretty much born into the White House. He didn't really know his father before that. He grew up in a world where his dad was the president of the United States of America, one of the most powerful people in the entire world. That's all he knew. And he's playing with his little toy, I think it's an airplane, underneath the desk there. And so when Little Jr. had a nightmare, when he, when he was scared at night, do you know what he would do? He would run over to his dad when he had a question about life and he was confused. Do you know what he would do? He would run over to his dad when he was thirsty in the middle of the night. Do you know what he would do? He would run over to the President of the United States. States of America and ask at two in the morning for a cup of milk. And so with God, we are to have the same relationship. When you get scared and you're not sure what to do, when you're worried, and you know what you should do, you should too run to your dad. When you have a question about life and you're just confused and you're heartbroken, you should run to your daddy. When you need someone beside you, and you're, you feel lost, and you don't feel cared for, and you feel all alone, you should run to your dad who is there with open arms to welcome you in, welcome you to his table. This is the God that we pray. When we sit pray to God, we pray knowing that he is our dad, that he is there to welcome us, that he brings us into the bed with him if it's a thunderstorm, that he cares for us. We have this type of God. We have this type of maker of the universe that he cares so deeply about us. And this, friends, is how we are to approach God. When we come to God in prayer, we are to look upon Him as Papa, as Daddy, as this intimate friend. I, 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 I think about this, this picture of just Rowe Jr. and his dad. And I think about us and the maker of the universe. And it, it's such a profound truth of reality that the God of the universe is our Dad, is our Daddy. And, and to do this in our life, we have to allow God into our lives. We have to let our walls down. We, we can't let God distant because he wants to come close. He wants to draw near to us. And so if you don't allow God into your life, you'll just be like, like a little seed, a little seed that doesn't allow any water into its shell. And. We're not botanists here, but we probably know what we call little seeds that don't allow any water into their shell. We call those seeds dead. They're not alive. And we aren't alive either unless we let God into our being, into who we are. And then and only then are we actually alive. Do we actually have life living within us? My second point is this. That we are to give all glory to the Father. In the very next line, he says, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. To what end are we to pray? To what posture are we to pray? We are to pray in reverence to God. Acknowledging acknowledging his holiness. Acknowledging his greatness. Being in awe of him. Yes, he is our Father, but he is also God the major of all of us. He knows how many hairs we have or the hairs we don't have on our heads. He knows us. We just recognize him. Uh, God's holiness, what that means is that God is distinct. That God is separated from us. Uh, John Piper put it this way. He said God's holiness, what that means is that God is distinct and separated. That he is in a class by himself. He has infinite perfections, infinite greatness and infinite worth. His holiness is what He is as God that nobody else is. it's His quality of perfection that can't be improved upon, that can't be imitated, that is incomparable, that determines all that He is, and that is determined by nothing outside of Him. It signifies His infinite worth, His intrinsic, infinite worth, His intrinsic, infinite value. So when we think of God, we should think of this. We should think of his holiness, that he is powerful, that he is just, that he is mighty, that he is magnificent, that he is awe-inspiring. When we think of God, we should think of his all-consuming glory. We should think of his consummate and collective glory of his nature. So when we come to God in prayer, yes, he is our Father, but he is also God. And that needs to be recognized, and that should be known in our hearts and in our beings and in our daily life in prayer this is what we should be focusing in on this should be defining our prayer life in many ways that god is glorified and we are not i know john talked about it a number of weeks ago that john the baptist says that jesus must increase and i must decrease in our prayer life that is also true in our prayer life we give glory to god and not ourselves See, compared to God, nothing is worth giving any credit, any glory, any recognition to. Because God is the one who is holy. He is the creator of all things. And he is the one who is deserving of all things as well. It's really easy for us to pray for ourselves a lot of the time and not orient ourselves to God. And so, in the Lord's Prayer, I believe we get this picture. That we should be praying for God and to God. And that should be our posture in prayer. So, so far, we, have, we should have intimacy with the Father, and we should be giving all glory to the Father. My third point, have full dependence on the Father. Look here at the rest of the passage. He says, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Previously, we just had two statements about God. Hallowed be your name, or our Father, and hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Two statements about him. Now we have three three requests for us as the people of God. Um, Also, just something I wanted to pinpoint right now is that from the beginning of the prayer, we say, our Father. This is something that we do together. He is our Father. This is not an individualistic prayer. It is a corporate endeavor. So yes, we can do it individually, but it is also corporate. And we can't lose that Christian community that is written right into Scripture. But So we have three requests here. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. And lead us not into temptation. Now, daily bread. I know not all of us in here even eat bread. There's many diets that exclude it, whether it's for dietary reasons or allergy reasons. And so, if all this passage was saying, was saying that we should pray for bread. Now, I'm okay with that. But I know many of you in here aren't okay with that. Many of you are like, I just got to scratch this line out, because I don't need to eat any bread. Thankfully, the scriptures are a lot more deep than that. Um, So when we pray for our daily bread, we're praying praying for the necessary um, things we need for this day. We're praying for our daily provisions. Okay, and so at this, basically, what we are doing is we're saying that God, I want, to, I'm asking you to provide for me all that I need for today. Okay, and so that's a little scary. That's a bit scary, because you're saying I'm not, I'm not able to provide for myself, but only God provides for me. He's the one who provides the muscles in our body, the air that we breathe, the sun that shines upon us, the air that is in the air. He provides all things for us. He provides our daily needs. So that includes our bread. It also includes our ice cream. And so it kind of goes all over the place. And so you might ask, this is something I would wonder, why don't we just ask for everything that God just provides for tomorrow too? Why do I just need to limit God to today? God is more, more than enough capable of providing for me for forever. Well, let's look at the Old Testament, then I'll give a modern-day example. In the, in, um, with the Israelites, when they were traveling through the wilderness, they, they were hungry because they were in the desert. And God let down from the skies something called manna. It was a type of bread, but they called it manna, which means, what is this? Um, and God said, I'm going to provide for you on a daily basis. Rely on me. Be dependent upon me. And if any of the Israelites tried to hold any of the bread for the next day, it would go back. God didn't allow them to depend on themselves. God made it sure that he had to depend, they had to depend on him on a day-by-day basis. And so, think about us. Think about the daily vitamins or medications we take. Imagine if you told your doctor, hey doc, I'm just going to take all my medicines for this year today. I think I'll be (laughs) alright. Like, and for the same reason, if God gave you everything that you needed for the rest of the year, you wouldn't be able to handle it. You wouldn't be able to cope; it would crush you. And so, God wants us to provide on Him daily, and this will not only make us dependent; it will shape us as people. It will shape us as people of humility and of dependence. Going to the second, request, or to the third request, where it says, "Lead us not into temptation." For God to not lead you into temptation, you already have to bow down to Him and allow Him to lead you. So if you're not even allowing God to lead you, how can you ask him not to lead you into temptation? Another area, we're asking God, saying, God, I am dependent upon you. I am following you. Lead me as you are leading me. Don't lead me into temptation. Lead me to follow you. I think of, um, I watched this really angsty teenage show called The 100, and um, there was this scene where the one guy was walking through a minefield, and he had to test to see where the mines are. And the crew behind them had to step exactly where he stepped. Or they might step on a mine and blow up. Wouldn't it wouldn't be good. And so I think with God the same way. God is leading us through this minefield. And we need to follow him step by step. Our Christian faith, we should invest in to know who God is. Because there's, a many, there's many leaders out there who are going in the wrong directions, And we need to follow God and allow him to lead us. I wanted to set aside the second request there. It says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Now I understand this one might be a little confusing right off the bat, because it seemingly says that God will forgive me if I forgive everyone. But see, to understand scripture, you have to base it against scripture. So you use the clear passages of scripture to understand the unclear passages of scripture. And so what we know as a fact throughout scripture is that we are saved by grace through faith and it is not of our own doing, but it is totally a work of God. So if that's true, then this can't be saying we must do to be this. It can't be saying do to be. But what we can understand it to mean is that if if you know the forgiveness of God, or when this becomes true in your inner being, when you really know God, then you will forgive those who have wronged you. Amen. If you have been reconciled to God, how can you not be reconciled to your brothers and sisters? So that's what this is saying. It is saying, God, I know your forgiveness. I rely on you full knowing that you have forgiven me of all the wrongs that I've ever done. And so because of that, I forgive those around me. But I would have to say that it's a lot. that's a lot easier said than done. It's a lot easier to say, God, I forgive everyone because you've forgiven me. And I think that goes right back to dependence because we don't depend on God for our salvation. See, we have all these things in our life called idols. If there's anything in your life that if it was taken away that would just crush you completely, that's probably an idol. We all probably have many of them. If you've ever caught yourself saying things like, as long as I have a job, I'll be all right. As long as so-and-so's in my life. I'll be alright. As long as they don't find out about who I really am, I'll be alright. What those are are idols. Idols are good things that we turn into ultimate things. And so it could be anything from a, a position in life. A girl, a boy, a relationship, it could be popularity, cars, sports, looks. What's on the top of your mountain? What are you striving for in life? That is your idol. And if your mountain, if your idol isn't God, then you're not going to rely on him fullheartedly, and you will not be able to forgive those around you. You will not be depending upon God. We need to let go of these idols. One theologian once said that our hearts are an idol factor. We do all that we can. We look around at ourselves, and we're like, idol, idol, idol. We want idols because God scares us. Being on a just coming out of college recently, doing group activities is horrible you have to rely on other people for your grade, It's not a fun endeavor. And here, God's saying, rely on me for everything. I've got you. That's scary. We want to do it ourselves. We want to say, well, I'll do enough good works. I'll do enough charity. God, accept me if I do this. God's like, I've already accepted you. Welcome. So, looking at this prayer, I I ask you, do you depend on God to provide for your every need? Do you depend on God for salvation, to be able and willing to forgive others? And do you depend on God for guidance, so that he can take the lead in your life? And I ask, do you pray like this? Do you pray with this intimacy, knowing that you're talking to your dad, knowing that you're talking to your Father? Do you pray recognizing the holiness and renown of God's name? And do you pray depending on Him for every step that you take? If I could take a step aside for a moment, I could say no. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen all the time. Um, this message, I've been working on it for about a, over a month now, and Every, every day I've been trying to rehearse it, and I don't like it. <laughs> it, it. It's one of those things that's like, it's hard to systematically pray with this intimacy, with this um, giving Him all the glory and giving Him all my, my me, giving Him all the me, being dependent upon Him. That's not easy for me. Um, and if you're anything like me, then it's probably not easy for you. And so I, I want you to all know that I, as a pastor in this platform position, this isn't easy for me. So if it's not easy for you, that's okay. Keep pressing forward. Keep practicing. We're all practicing Christians here. We haven't got it down pat yet. We're figuring it all out. And so, even though you might hate prayer, and I know it sometimes prayer is the most frustrating thing in my life. I just have this feeling that, God, I'm doing this wrong. God, like, do I have to be on my knees? Sometimes I get on my knees. Sometimes I, I I isolate myself. I put myself in a closet just to see if I can be with God. And it, it's sometimes the most frustrating thing in my life, but it's also, a lot of the time, the most rewarding thing in my life as well. It, 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 it's not always, but, but it's one of the most rewarding things. And so I, I, because of all that, I was thinking, why doesn't prayer, why isn't it easier? Why can't we just, like, switch a the button, call Jesus up, and be like, Jesus, I have a prayer. That would be really nice. That's not the way it works. Um, I really think that a part of the reason that prayer is so difficult is because it isn't the way things ought to be. And so if you think back years and years ago to Genesis 2, Genesis 1 and 2, do you guys remember how God interacted with us? Do you remember how God interacted with us? He didn't text us. He didn't, we didn't need to use prayer he didn't even use aim or instant messenger. Even more old school than all of that. He walked with us. The maker of the heavens and earth walked through the Garden of Eden side by side, and we got to ask him questions. And he got to answer us. And that was our relationship with God, that we pursued him, that we loved him so much, and we wanted to get to know him. That was that's how it's supposed to be. That's how it will be one day, but that's how it was supposed to be. And right now, if you continue reading Genesis, Genesis 3, not too far later, Adam and Eve sinned. And before, we, we sought out God. God we, we wanted to get near Him. We wanted to walk with Him. We wanted to just follow after His footsteps. But after we sinned, after we, our relationship with God broke, we hid. We ran away from God. And we still do that today. We do that today with our idols. We do that today in many different ways. We ran away. Our relationship with God broke. And so since then, we've had to rely on prayer. Prayer has been our our one access to God. But see, 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth, he gave us a foretaste of what things will be like. He also gave us a foreshadowing of how things can be for us today. And so when Jesus was on earth, um, I don't know how many of you know this, but Jesus was God, and Jesus, once again, walked with us. And his disciples, his entourage, they got to ask him questions. People would come to him in the dark of night and ask Jesus questions. And he would give them his time. He would answer them. He, he, would, he would care about us as his people. It, it didn't matter if they were blue-collar or white-collar. He cared about us. And Jesus showed us what our relationship will, with God will be like someday. But he also showed us what it can be like today. See, Jesus said some crazy, crazy things. But I think one of the craziest things that Jesus said was that I and the fa- and the Father are one. Wouldn't it be incredible if you could honestly say that? That I and the, the creator of the universe are one. We're so close. We're like two peas in a pod. That's what Jesus said. Don't you sometimes like almost covet his relationship Um, I used the word lust when I was preparing. I thought that was inappropriate. But don't don't, don't we sometimes? We look onto Jesus' relationship with God, the Father, and we're like, dang, I want that. We might not even know that we wanted to, but we see his relationship with God, the Father, and how close they were, and we're like, I want that. I want that. See, Jesus, Jesus was in a position we weren't in. He was God, and so he got to contact have contact with god a lot differently than what we do but see a lot of times when we look at jesus's life we think some people honestly just think he's a prototype of what we could be but see he's much more than that see jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live because when adam and eve sinned it was kind of like a, her- a hereditary thing if you will and it broke all of us that everyone from from adam and eve on have been broken ever since So what Jesus did, he lived the unbroken life. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. And see, because we have sinned, God's a just judge. And he gives things, gives to people what they deserve. And what the wage of death, or what the wage of sin is, is death. So because you have all sinned, it's only because of God's mercy that we are still here. But Jesus lives the life we are supposed to, and then takes the death we were supposed to take. And sometimes we end it there. But that's great news right there in itself, that Jesus died in our place. That's wonderful news. But it's also more than that as well. When he died for us, he gave us forgiveness. He gave us righteousness. He gave us justification and salvation. And one of the most beautiful things I believe he gave us is that he gave us adoption. So now, when God looks down upon us, he doesn't just see sinners. He sees sons, and he sees daughters. And so now because of what Jesus has done for us on our behalf, we can look to God and honestly say, Papa, Daddy, and we can come to God with this reverence and awe. We can come to Him knowing that He is our all in all, knowing that He is all that we will ever need, and knowing that He accepts us. We're not perfect. We're far from it. But He accepts us into His Holy of Holies. He accepts us to the table, to have a meal with him. And so in prayer, we need to remember this. In prayer, we need to remember the gospel. And every time I preach, you better be ready. I'm going to say the gospel every week. Because you should be telling yourselves every day. And So I'll just be that secondary reminder on Sundays. I want you to know that the gospel is that God has done what you needed to do. And died because you couldn't do it. And he accepts you to his table. And he accepts you as sons and daughters. And that's good news. Because we are now free from sin. We are now free from all that this world holds us to. And now he calls us to himself. He calls us into this great walk with him. And that's a great thing. Because now someday we have been given the inheritance of Jesus. And because we are in Jesus, we will live forever with God. And we will get to walk alongside God in heaven. We will get to walk alongside him down, down beaches, which I'm excited about, through valleys, through deserts. We'll walk beside God for years and years and years. And God will be there with for us. Because he loves us and he cares for us. So when we pray, when we look at the Lord's Prayer, I want you to see that we, we look to God with intimacy. We look to God knowing he is our Father. We also look to God because He is God, that He is sovereign, that He is powerful, that He is mighty. And we also come to God being dependent upon Him for our every need. And that's what our prayer life should look like. Like I said, it won't be easy, but as we take steps forward each and every day, you will grow in this, and your your relationship with God will grow. So let us now pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, you make us gay. God, you make us glad. God, thank you for looking down upon us and seeing us as the apple of your eye. God, you are our father. You are our daddy. God, we thank you. God, you are mighty. You are the God of our our fathers. You are the God of this world. You are the controller and creator of all things. Let us not forget that. Lord God, we pray that we are open to your leading today. That we are dependent upon you in all of our endeavors. That we rely on you, and not ourselves, for our salvation. Lord God, God us in all truth. Allow us to know you more, because you are love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.